0: A couple of years ago, David Gellis read a newsletter that caught his attention.
1: Well, I'll spare you the reading of the entire letter, Barry, but what I'll do is sort of synopsize it.
0: It came from an unlikely source, Larry Fink, the founder and CEO of the investment firm BlackRock.
1: I was thinking about all the different crises we've dealt with in my my career, and it's very clear to me, The physical changes that we may see with climate change are more permanent. What he said was that after many years when companies really didn't put climate change and the environmental crisis at the center of their decision-making processes, all companies were now going to have to reckon with climate change in one way or another. As the largest investment firm in the world, I believe more of our clients worldwide believe in some form of the science, if not all the science, of climate change. And they're asking how should they be better prepared in in their investment criteria. And he made the case that that meant, in part, really pursuing a path towards net zero, towards reducing carbon emissions. Many of these problems could be solved, but the actions have to begin now.
0: David is a climate reporter at the New York Times, and he was excited to see influential executives like Fink taking an interest in combating climate change. Some readers, though, readers with clout, were less than thrilled.
1: He, in being so public about it, really became the face of this effort by the corporate world to reduce carbon emissions, and in the view of some, to punish or reduce their involvement with fossil fuel companies.
0: Oil and gas producers read in Fink's newsletter that the wellspring of capital they've been able to count on for decades was about to dry up. And the officials in states that rely on those industries who are overwhelmingly Republican read a hit to their local economies. A bunch of state treasurers got together and came up with a plan. If firms like BlackRock weren't going to put their money in fossil fuels, then fossil fuel reliant states weren't going to put their money into firms like BlackRock. And that's
1: exactly what's happened in the case of West Virginia, where the state treasurer, Riley Moore, who's really been a leader in this effort, last year began asking his state legislature to pass a law that would allow him to ban five financial institutions that he said were boycotting the thermal coal industry. And guess what? Big banks like J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, and the investment firm BlackRock are now banned from doing business with the state of West Virginia.
0: For David, this moment marks an important shift because fighting climate change used to be a bipartisan issue.
1: What's so astonishing, though, is that since President Biden came to office, really, the Republican Party has decided to make the focus on the environment almost public enemy number one as they wage this new effort to really constrain the political power that corporations have found they can exert.
0: I'm a little confused here because Republicans have historically been the party of big business, and BlackRock is a big business. So what's going on here?
1: The CEOs are confused as well, Mary. They The normal party affiliations and the normal alliances that for so long, as you correctly noted, sort of define the relationship between the GOP and big corporate America, between Democrats and the business world. All of those things are sort of getting turned upside down right now.
0: Today on the show, how Republican officials are wielding public funds to punish companies trying to go green. I'm Mary C. Curtis. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. At the crux of this story is a group of state officials many people don't think of as especially consequential, state treasurers.
1: Most people would be hard-pressed to name their state's chief financial officer, their treasurer, their comptroller, whatever you might call it. But these are, for the most part, elected officials who indeed have enormous power, not only to control those billions of dollars that sit in sort of the operating accounts, if you will, the checking accounts for the states. But they also, as I discovered in the reporting of the story, have the power to really shape and essentially help pass legislation.
0: This story starts with a little-known nonprofit called the State Financial Officers Foundation. So who are these guys?
1: Well, the State Financial Officers Foundation is a small 501c3 nonprofit. And for many years, they were sort of a bread and butter, relatively conservative, but by no means sort of strident, convening organization for Republican state treasurers and comptrollers, the men and women who run the finances for our 50 states. Over the past 18 months, they have really, I would say they've become radicalized, and they have waged a absolutely relentless effort to promote the interests of fossil fuel companies and to push back on any efforts by the corporations or by the federal government to try to take climate change more seriously.
0: Could you walk me through a timeline of how this effort has unfolded perhaps starting in November of last year.
1: Well, this was such a deep moment of irony and contrast that we uncovered in reporting the story, which is that in November of last year, the very moment that world leaders, including President Biden, were gathered in Glasgow, Scotland, for the most recent COP conference, the climate change conference that happens every year hosted by the United Nations, during those very same days these couple dozen state treasurers were gathered in Orlando, essentially plotting how to prevent the actions, the work to combat climate change that President Biden was committing to across the pond from actually getting implemented. But Mary, I I would say the story actually begins a bit earlier because the legislation that I mentioned in West Virginia actually has its roots in Texas. It was well over a year ago that the Texas legislature became the first Republican state legislature to pass a law giving the state power to essentially boycott firms that it said were discriminating against or boycotting the energy industry, the fossil fuel industry. Now, that law, SB 13, which was passed last year by Governor Abbott in Texas, has proven really difficult to enforce for a variety of technical reasons. But it provided the template. And what we've seen since then is dozens of states try to enact similar legislation, and about a half dozen states succeed. And one of the amazing things I've seen is that even in blue states, as it were, including New York, Republican legislators are trying to push
0: these laws but the crazy thing is that the banks that a lot of these treasurers have been targeting aren't boycotting the fossil fuel industry. All of them, don't they all still do substantial business with oil and gas companies? They're just putting some plans into place to move away from them?
1: That's exactly right. Now, it, it is true in the case of West Virginia that many of those banks have put real serious restrictions on the types of business, the amount of business they will do with the thermal coal industry. But that's because they don't believe that it's a good investment in the long term. They don't think that lending $250 million to a coal mining operation is going to be a situation where they're going to get their money back in 10 years, right? So they don't frame it as a moralistic decision. They just say that this is a bad investment risk. Beyond that, you're absolutely right, Mary. These companies, especially J.P. Morgan, I think are the largest single funders of oil and gas around the world to this day. So by no means are these companies boycotting the fossil fuel business. Quite the contrary.
0: In the investigation you published, you wrote that nearly two dozen state treasurers are involved in this effort to punish companies they see as going too green. So in a country of 50 states, that's almost half. So other than having republican treasurers is there any unifying factor that ties these states together? Well
1: many of these states do still have fossil fuel industries and that is often sort of a rationale for why they're pursuing this strategy. The logic and it's you know you can you can understand it it's sort of just a pure machiavellian way. They say if companies like Wells Fargo and JP Morgan are going to intentionally reduce the amount of business they do with the fossil fuel industry, which is still important to our state, then why should we give our business to them? Now, again, that's a very sort of transactional approach. And of course, many of the banks would say that, well, these are just simply poor investments, which is why we're not making them. Nonetheless, That is one unifying factor. The other factor, Mary, is that many of them are Republican-controlled legislatures, Republican-controlled state houses that are pursuing what has really become another front in the culture wars. And it's a new tentpole issue for the Republican Party, which is so shocking because, of course, it was President Nixon and Republicans who gave us the EPA.
0: How do they explain their campaign? Because as you say, people are aware of climate. How do they frame it that says, well, this is really a good thing?
1: There's a range. On the one hand, men like Riley Moore, I mean, I asked him point blank if he believes in the overwhelming scientific consensus that the burning of fossil fuels is leading to dangerous planetary warming. And he basically said he didn't. Other people I talked to for these stories, they have said that, yes, they do believe that but they also believe that humans and their ingenuity are going to be able to adapt our way out of this mess and that it's much more important to keep burning fossil fuels to create cheap and abundant energy to increase human flourishing is a term they like to use. So there's a whole range of explanations. But the bottom line is many of these efforts are designed to protect the interests of oil, gas, and coal companies, and these are interests that are funded by the oil and gas industry.
0: I have to stop you and talk about human flourishing, What are those terms. When people are sweltering and there are floods and droughts, human flourishing, really? They're selling that?
1: They sure are. They're selling it hard, Mary. And, and listen, we have to acknowledge some of the truth in that argument. If you look at the past 120 years, standards of living around the globe have largely gone up in large measure because of the advent of abundant electricity. That electricity, until very recently, has almost exclusively come from the burning of fossil fuels, right? So there's some logic there, but it doesn't mean that we can't also have cheap and abundant energy from renewable sources that don't catastrophically heat the planet. And that's, of course, what everyone working on the energy transition is exactly trying to accomplish.
0: We'll be right back. Republican state treasurers are using money to punish companies veering away from fossil fuels. But they're also using their political bully puppets. State treasurers played a big part in tanking the nominations of two banking regulators.
1: What you're referring to are at least two major Biden nominations, Saria Omarova and Sarah Boom Raskin, who President Biden nominated to key financial regulatory positions over the last year or so. And the state treasurers waged this enormous effort to essentially tank their nominations. I reviewed more than 10,000 pages of emails and documents for the reporting of this story. And what I saw was this very coordinated campaign with the State Financial Officers Foundation at the nexus of it, trying to coordinate the efforts, the talking points, the language, even the tweets that they would use to essentially demonize these two women who were nominated to key federal posts. And guess what? In both cases, they withdrew their nominations because of public pressure. And in the case of Sarah Bloom Raskin's nomination, after she withdrew her nomination, President Biden went on the record and said, listen, she was eminently qualified, but she had her nomination scuttled by fossil fuel groups and special interests. And you know who he was talking about.
0: Yes, and to make this clear, Ms. Amarova, she was nominated for controller of the Currency, and then Sarah Bloom Raskin for the Federal Reserve's Head of Bank Oversight. So these were pretty important positions. Indeed. So this effort to punish companies trying to fight climate change, will it work? The company in question, BlackRock, Goldman, whatever, do they really need West Virginia's money, or is this going to hurt West Virginia more than it hurts BlackRock?
1: There's some fascinating research I came across during the reporting of this article that suggested that when companies do this, it can actually wind up costing the states and the municipalities a huge amount of money. Because what they're doing when they're removing major banks like JP Morgan, Wells Fargo from their markets is essentially limiting the pool of financial services firms they get to put out bids to and often wind up paying a higher price for inferior products from lesser-known banks. So there's certainly evidence to suggest that this happened in Texas already when they passed some civil legislation. And there's every indication that the same kind of thing could repeat itself in other states that follow this path of banning certain banks.
0: And when you're talking about costing municipalities, you're talking about taxpayers. It could cost taxpayers.
1: No doubt about it. And this is, you know, that's a, that's an uncomfortable irony that a lot of these state treasurers uh, probably don't want to look square at the face. Now, to the question of whether this is going to hurt the companies, I think when we talk about the bottom line, not really. These are peanuts for banks and financial institutions of this side. But the real risk I heard when I spoke with executives at these companies was that this is one more step in the direction of a world of sort of having red brands and blue brands, Republican banks and Democratic banks. And everyone echoed this concern that we are already so divided as a country, the last thing we need is to sort our biggest corporations into one side of the aisle or the other. And that I think is the real risk at this point.
0: Also, when I was looking at your story, You talk about the culture wars, and you can't help but see some of the same names coming up. Heritage Foundation, ALEC. Is this something we also should be looking at?
1: This was one of the most telling pieces of this whole story, which is to say that we may not have heard of the State Financial Officers Foundation, but they are in effect just yet another sort of uh, appendage of this enormous network of very conservative groups that have a similar set of funders, which include folks like the Heritage Foundation, the Heartland Institute, the Coke Industries money, the American Petroleum Institute. And in the same way that uh, the Heritage Foundation and the Texas Public Policy Foundation is another, all of these groups, are not only sort of drawing from a similar source of funders and working to propagate the same policies and messaging across many different areas of society, but they're also working in concert. And so this is all a part of the evolution of this network of groups and their efforts to promote fossil fuels and combat climate change.
0: So most of these state treasurers, aren't they elected? They are. So they're accountable to the public? Is this something folks should be paying attention to a lot more than they are?
1: I certainly hope so. But as we said at the top of the show, Mary, most people don't know who their state treasurers are. But again, these are largely red state treasurers in deep red states. So it's, you know, I I, I think before we sort of believe that the electorate is going to rise up because uh, some of their tax funds were misused and, and they paid higher fees on some financial services fees, I think, I think there's a lot of other shoes that are going to have to drop before that happens.
0: David, we've seen now President Joe Biden has signed a bill, the Inflation Reduction <laughs> Act, as it's called, but it has in it a lot of money to combat climate change. And we see it got no Republican support. So we've talked about the evolution of this issue into one that is so partisan with now state treasurers punishing companies. Is this latest signing of this bill just another part of it becoming a part of the culture war? Is this just the next step right along with these other efforts?
1: Well, it's important to know that the Inflation Reduction Act, which just passed, is the most substantial piece of climate legislation, many argue, in the history of the country. So there's an enormous, enormous step forward that was just taken in our country's efforts to reduce our emissions. And we're gonna see hundreds of billions of dollars flow into efforts towards transitioning the economy away from fossil fuels in the years to come. As you note, though, it had zero Republican support. And that really does demonstrate the degree to which this has become, unfortunately, a partisan issue.
0: Thank you so much, David Ellis.
1: Thank you all so much for having me.
0: David Gellis is a climate correspondent at the New York Times. He covers the intersection of public policy and the private sector. That's the show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Mary Wilson, Carmel Del Shad, and Madeline Ducharme. We're getting a ton of help from Anna Rubinova, Anna Phillips, and Jarrett Downing. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And filling in for Mary Harris, I'm Mary C. Curtis, columnist at Roll Call and host of It's Equal Time podcast. I'll be back in this feed on Monday. Talk to you then.